God, you didn't sit back. You didn't sit back and say, come to me. But rather, God, you saw our condition and you came. God, we thank you that you are with us, that you are near us. And so, God, we remember these truths at Christmas. That you were born as a baby. That you lived and died for us. God, we confess that so often it's so easy to be distracted by the things that are happening in the world around us, the things that are happening in our world, God. But yet that was the very world that you entered. Thank you, God, for entering our world. The world you created, you didn't leave to its own devices, but you entered it that we might be in relationship with you, that we might come to you, that we might be saved by you. And so, God, this morning, this, this week, this Christmas season, God, I pray that you would give us focus, that we would not be distracted by the lights and the trees and the decorations and the presents, that we wouldn't be filled with anxiety or worry for our God loves us. Our God cares for us. Our God sees us. Our God knows us. God, we thank you. God, we pray this morning that your word might be proclaimed that it may not be my words, God, but your words that we hear. We give you thanks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. Merry Christmas. I'm so glad that we get to be together uh, on this last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, before we do anything else, it was awesome having the children sing for us this morning. Was that not great? Yes. Yes, it was. Awesome. Awesome. So this is a Worship Together weekend, and uh, if you're unfamiliar about this, this is something that we do uh, every so often, about four or five times a year, uh, where we shut down part of our children's ministry, and we invite our elementary age students to join us in worship. And so if you're a guest here or even a longtime attender, um, you know, and, and, and maybe you're here and you're, you're just a little bit nervous about what your kid might do during the, the rest of this time. Uh, I just, I just want to say that, like, uh, I want to encourage you, breathe easy. Breathe easy. Uh, we were all kids once, and many of us have, have children of our own, and so we get it. We get it. Um, so, so please feel at ease. We want you to feel right at home here this morning. And if you are one of those younger types, if you're like, hey, I normally go to the alley. I'm, uh, I'm an elementary age uh, friend here. I, hear me say, welcome. 
welcome. I am so glad that you are here today. We're so glad that you could join us for worship this morning. So this is the fourth week of our arrival series, and I, I just want to kind of give us a, a, a little brief uh, synopsis of what has happened here. We've been talking about the advent or the coming of Jesus, right? The coming of Jesus. During this season, we're able to look back where Jesus came. Uh, we're able to look back where he was a baby in Bethlehem, and so we remember the struggle, the pain uh, that the people of Israel felt as they waited and waited and waited for the Messiah to come. And at the same time, during the season, we recognize that our God will come again. We recognize that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and he will be coming back one day. And so we wait, we await with eager anticipation for his return. We began our series talking about the Old Testament prophecy that, that, that Jesus' birth was, was foretold hundreds of years before he was ever born. We said that, that, that things now, how things are right now, is not how they will always be. Man, is that not, praise God, is that not great news that how things are right now is not how they will be forever? And so we have this God who keeps his promises, and he promised long ago, he promised long ago that a king would come, that a, a ruler would come, one who is ancient and strong, one who would rule and bring peace. And so we talked about how the angel appears to Mary, the angel appears to Mary and tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her and that she would bear a son even though she has never been with a man because nothing is impossible for our God. Last week, we looked at the circumstances that brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, right? Mary is pregnant. They're not inclined to travel. And so we marvel at how God orchestrates all of these seemingly little details. Our God's timing is perfect. And we said that our God goes to great lengths for you and for me. The Father didn't have to send the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't have to come at all, but he did because of his great love for us. So if you have your Bible with you today, uh, let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. The Gospel, of Luke's gonna be, the Gospel of Luke is located in the New Testament, so you're going to find that near the back of your Bible. But uh, we're going to go to the second chapter, verse 8. And if you have a smartphone, I would just want to encourage you to feel free to use the YouVersion Bible app. You're going to find all the scripture and the, uh, the notes from today uh, under the events tab there. So we're going to Luke 2, beginning in verse 8. Please follow along as I read the word of God aloud. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, 
which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. So let's set the scene here. Let's set the scene. We said last week that Bethlehem was abuzz because of the census. Caesar Augustus has issued a decree that everybody, everybody needs to be counted. All of the stuff needs to be accounted for. And so every Jewish male has to return to their hometown to report in. So Joseph and Mary, they traveled to Bethlehem because Joseph was from the house and line of David. The town is so crowded that there isn't a room for them. There is not even a guest room to be had. And it says here in our passage that meanwhile, meanwhile, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Things are not abuzz in the fields. It's same old, same old out there. It's dark. It's quiet. Outside of the occasional predator, not much happens in the fields. The shepherds are there on a night that is just like any other. Just them and the sheep. And then all heaven breaks loose, right? All heaven breaks loose. It says in verse 9, An angel of the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. It was night, and it was quiet. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. It was bright as day and it was loud. I mean, I picture this just like you see it in the movies, right? You know, they're going about their business. It's dark. And then all of a sudden a helicopter shows up and the spotlight shines down. And, and they're, they're here. They're blinded. The voice says from above, do not be afraid. Put your hands up. No, just kidding about the second part there. <laughs> but this is an invasion, This is an invasion here, and it is. In every sense of the word, our God invades the earth he created. He's the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The ancient of days has come. The angels are there to announce it. Something new has happened. This is not just like every other night. And everything is about to change. The angel of the Lord is here in the middle of the night to herald this dawning of a new day. And so the first thing I think we need to see here, the first thing we need to see from this passage is that that Jesus is good news for all the people. Jesus is good news for all people. The angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. This good news will cause great joy for all the people. All people. Now, I know, okay, I know that we're like some like 2,000 years removed from this event, okay? We, uh, you know, we, we sometimes have a hard time understanding the, uh, the world here because uh, I don't know about you, but I don't know a whole lot of shepherds. Uh, I don't also have my own sheep. That is not normally something that I do. Um, but let me explain here how scandalous this event is, okay? 
Shepherds are not quite what you think they are, okay? Shepherds are not quite what we think they are. Now, before we get too far down the pike, let me just say, I myself, I'm a fan of the shepherd, okay? I'm a fan of the shepherd. Uh, You know, in fact, one of my earliest memories of church was uh, I played a shepherd in a Christmas play, okay? Uh, I could not have been more than like three or four. Uh, I had my staff, I had that head thing, you know, I don't know what, what's, up, what's up with that, but, you know, the bathrobe, totally. Like, I mean, I was rocking this, okay? And so I'm a fan of the shepherd, but most of our understanding of shepherd is in light of Jesus. We live in a post-Jesus world, and so our understanding of shepherds, you know, Jesus has redeemed the shepherd, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then Jesus comes along in the gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. However, I think that there is a reason why Jesus has to clarify that he is the good shepherd. (laughs) He's, He's good, okay? He is the good shepherd as opposed to other shepherds who at the time are not viewed as good. So from some of our extra-biblical sources here uh, in history of the time, we know that shepherds, they could not hold public office. Shepherds couldn't do that. Their testimony was not admissible as evidence. I know some of you are thinking right now, I'm pretty sure he means tax collector. I have heard this before. Uh, Surely he does not mean those guys that take care of the cute little lambs, right? Those lambs are just adorable. Um, But no, I mean shepherds. The most pious of Jews would not buy things from shepherds, things like wool or milk or other sheep, because they just assumed, naturally, it was stolen. They assumed it. Shepherds were notorious for stealing sheep and selling the wool and milk off as their own. As you can imagine, a shepherd would learn very quickly that crime pays and that they can make money off of the things that they steal. And so, like I said, they couldn't hold uh, an office. They couldn't serve as a witness because they were not seen as credible individuals. And so there's this great prejudice towards shepherds. A philosopher in Alexandria at the time says this. It says, there is no more disreputable an occupation than a shepherd. They cannot be trusted. They are brute, thieving, deplorable men who prefer the company of animals and other men than they do community life. Wow. Alexandria is the center of the intellectual world of that day. As we know it, uh, Alexandria is, is the, the pinnacle of society. And what do they think of, of shepherds? They see them as thieves. They're dirty, rotten scoundrels. But that's Alexandria. What do the Jews think? Well, there's a passage found in the Mishnah that says, Shepherds are incompetent. No one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen in a pit. Whoa. So if you are a shepherd and you have fallen in a pit and somebody comes walking by, they should not rescue you because you are not worth saving. You're not worth saving. So when it's time to announce that the Messiah has come, that there has been born a son who is to save the world, who does God want to send the angels to first? Who do the angels go to to proclaim, to announce this news? 
He goes with the shepherds, which is, is totally beyond our understanding here. But the angel of the Lord shows up, and of course they're terrified. They're terrified. A normal person, just a regular guy, would have seen this angel and been like, man, this is it. I'm going to die. This is the scariest, most powerful being that's ever been in front of me. And yet the shepherds, they're not normal guys. The shepherds aren't normal guys. They see the angel, and they know for certain, they know for certain that this, these few seconds here are the last few seconds of their time on earth. They are not good guys, and so if they knew what a helicopter was and what kinds of things happen in action-adventure movies, then they would be thinking like me too. They would be like, of course these angels are here to kill us. But that's not the message. That's not the message. The message is that there is good news for all the people. There is good news for all people. The angel gets to deliver this good news that is going to cause great joy, great rejoicing for all people. Don't be afraid, shepherds. This is good news for you. And if you're sitting here today, if you're sitting here today and you don't feel worthy, don't be afraid. I've got some good news that is going to be cause for great joy. If you're listening to me today and you're thinking, man, I've really screwed up. I've made a mess of things. Then I've got some good news for you. If you have a past and you've done some things that you're not proud of, and if there are things that you're embarrassed about, that you feel guilty for, or you're just downright ashamed of, then hear me say this. This is good news for you. This is good news for all people. Jesus is good news for all people. Those who think that they don't deserve it and those who definitely don't deserve it. The good news is that God loves you and he came for you. The good news here is that he, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came for you and me. Love came down, and this is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And so today, today, born for you and for you and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, born for you in the town of David, a Savior. A Savior has been born. He is Messiah, the Lord. And the shepherds are told, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So after the angel choir finishes, they, uh, they, they're done praising God. They return to heaven. And the shepherds, they look at one another and they say, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The next thing we need to see is that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. Another way of saying that is that Jesus is our Emmanuel. Jesus is our Emmanuel. You heard Josh say it earlier. The, the prophet Isaiah foretold it hundreds of years earlier. Therefore, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is this Hebrew word that means God with us. 
That is what the shepherds found lying in a manger that day. God with us there. The shepherds are some of the first to see God in the flesh. Author and pastor Max Lucado, he writes this of this moment that Jesus was born. And here's, here's how he says it, okay? He says, On a starlit night in the company of sheep, cattle, and a bewildered Joseph, Mary's eyes fell upon the face of her just-born son. She was bone-weary, surely, in pain, likely, ready to place her head on the straw and sleep the rest of the night away, probably. But first Mary had to see this face, his face, to wipe the moisture from his mouth and feel the shape of his chin, to be the first to whisper, so this is what God looks like. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Mary is the first to see God. And I mean actually see the face of God. And not just see God, but to hold him in her arms. Jesus is God in the flesh. See, there's this scene in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Some of you may be familiar with it. But Moses asked God to show him his glory. And God's like, I will do many things for you, Moses. I will show you goodness and mercy and compassion and all kinds of good stuff. But you cannot see my face. You cannot see my face for, for no one may see me and live. God's, God's saying to Moses, I'm too much for you. I'm too big, I'm too bright, I'm too shiny, I'm too perfect, I'm too holy, I'm too everything. You can't see me. And so God tells Moses in Exodus 33, he says, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Moses only wanted to see God's glory, but he couldn't. Nobody could see God and live. Fast forward to the Gospel of John. John proclaims that the Word, the Word, remember, remember the Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the, the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John proclaims that in John 1:14, he says, the Word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among, among us. We have seen his, his what? We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He's saying that God's glory is found in its fullness. God's glory in fullness in the Son. He is full of grace and truth. John later says that no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship to the Father has made him known. Jesus would later tell his disciples that they don't have to worry. They don't have to worry about the Father because anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So when you're looking at Jesus, you are looking at the face of God. When you see Jesus' character, you're seeing the character of God. The Apostle Paul echoes this when he writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the revealer of God. He reveals God to us because he is God. 
So in that manger, in that stable, on that night in Bethlehem, that is God. The fullness of God is there, and the shepherds go to see him, and it leads them to worship. It leads them to worship. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is our God with us. And he tells us everything we ever needed to know about God. That God took on flesh and was born as a baby so that he might be with us. He could have sent his message of love and forgiveness any number of ways, but he chose to become one of us that he might be with us. No longer would we have to find God in a pillar of fire or smoke. No longer would we have to wonder if God hears our prayers. No longer would we have to wonder if God cares for us. No longer would we have to wonder if he wants a relationship with us. All of that is answered that night in Bethlehem. All of that is answered. You don't have to doubt anymore. You don't have to be afraid. Our God loves you. Over the last few weeks, you've heard me say many good things about how God keeps his promises, about how God makes the impossible possible, about how God goes to great lengths for you and me, and that is good news. But what makes the birth of Jesus such wonderful news that it's, it, it's this, it's, this. it's not just that God thinks of us. It's not just that God uh, made us. It's not just that God is watching over us. It's not just that God is above us, that God is alive and well and seated on his throne. No, no, no. What makes the birth of Jesus such wonderful news is that God is with us. That God is with us. He is here. We're, where we are, there he is with us. Because God is with us, he gets us. He knows us. The birth of Christ shows us that our God is closer than we ever thought and loves us more than we ever dreamed. He is here with us and he is for us. This leads me to our last thing that I want us to see today is this. Uh, Jesus is the Savior that we needed. Jesus is our Savior. Regardless of what you think about God or how you believe God feels towards you, here's what the Bible tells us. All the way back in the beginning, all the way back in the beginning, when sin first entered the world, everything was ruined. Everything was broken. Everything was fractured. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. Every relationship, every inch, every speck of the universe felt the effects of the fall. Everything was ruined. And from that moment on, from that moment on, God begins to lay out his plan of salvation. From Genesis 3 on, everything would point to this moment that a Savior would come to rescue us from the mess that we made. Sin isn't the only thing that happens in Genesis 3. God begins to share what's going to take place one day. Take a look at Genesis 3. After Adam blames it on Eve, God asks Eve about it, and she, she blames it on the serpent. And the serpent, this, this Satan, devil, pure evil, beginning in verse 14, here's what God says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is what we get to call both a threat and a promise. Both a threat and a promise here. Satan, one day you will get what is coming to you. One day there will be one who is born of a woman. There's, there's going to be someone who is born as a woman, uh, born from a woman, and you are going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush your head. He's going to crush your head. Is that not awesome? That one day, one day, Satan, evil, will be gone. Our Savior has come. Jesus Christ is that Savior, the Savior of the world. He will right every wrong. Everything that was ruined will be restored. Just like that night long ago, he brings light into our darkest night because he himself is light. He brings hope to the most hopeless situation, and what was dead is made alive because in him is life. Listen to Jesus' words as he quotes Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. My daughter Claire is four years old. Many of you have had the pleasure of meeting her. I'm sure after the service, she's probably going to be in the hallway greeting people. She's, uh, she's kind of a social butterfly, but... I want to tell you what happened at my house yesterday. Yesterday at my house, there was a, a broken hanger. And I threw it in the trash. And Claire, Claire asked me, she says, why did you throw that away? I said, because it's broken. Dad, where's it going? I said, it's going, it's going in the garbage. She was like, yeah, Dad, but, but where? where? Where will it go? Suddenly I realize I'm not knowledgeable of the intricacies and policies of the waste management system in America. So I say, well, the garbage man will take it away. <laughs> Sounds right. She starts crying. But Daddy, we can fix it. When you're the father of little girls, there's always so many emotions. <laughs> no, we can't fix it, Claire. It's a hanger that, that doesn't hang. She says through tears, yes, we can. We can get some glue, and we can, we can, we can use glue. We can put it back together. It was sweet. After some more talking, I was able to convince her that it would be okay that this hanger really wasn't as valuable as she thought. We can just get rid of it. I know, I'm heartless. But it got me thinking. I think we all try to do exactly that. Exactly what Claire was trying to do. We see brokenness in our lives and we try to fix it. We say, if, if I can just hold it, together somehow. We recognize that we're imperfect. We, we see it when we look in the mirror. 
we know, we know our faults. We see it when we're at school or work. We screw up constantly. And we use phrases that you, you might find in a business leadership textbook to describe our personal state. Phrases like minimize risk and sustainable growth. But the fact of the matter is that you could be the smartest person in the world and you'd still be broken. You can be the most talented, the most gifted, the most skilled person in any arena. You'd still be broken. We can try and try and try and try and try to make us not feel our brokenness. But it's still there. But this baby, this child, Jesus, He will make it all better. He will fix everything. Your brokenness, my brokenness. We can't fix ourselves. We can't make it right. We, we can't do it on our own. And so often we try. We strive and we strive and we strive and we struggle. And, and even if we make some progress, we find that we can never make ourselves good as new. We won't ever be the same. And behold, a Savior has come to save us from ourselves. He has come to make all things new. The one who holds all things together is able to hold your life together, is able to hold my life together. When we should have, when we could have been destined for the trash heap, our God says in this wild turn of events that he finds value in us. He says he's made us. There's intrinsic value. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to save us. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, came to conquer sin and defeat death. God in his goodness chose not to discard us. Not to just toss us aside. Rather, our King has come. Our Savior is born. He is our Redeemer. He is our Deliverer. He is Christ the Lord. As the great hymn writer Charles Wesley penned, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them Second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for this wonderful gift. That what we needed was exactly what you gave us when we needed it most. You gave us yourself. that you might save us, that you might breathe life into us, that you might say, dry bones come alive. And so God, we live for you. This Christmas we remember that there is no other, no other one who is worthy, no other thing that is worthy but you. 
may we never forget that. That we might always remember that you loved us so much that you came, that you were born to die, that we might be saved, that we might be with you. You went the distance for us. And so God, I pray if there's anyone here today who who has not heard that message before, who has not made a decision about that truth, God, I pray that today would be the day that your salvation would come. That today would be the day that we would turn our hearts and our minds to you. God, I pray that we would repent of anything that stands in the way anything that distracts, anything that is a barrier, anything that divides us from you, that we might experience you, our Emmanuel. God, we thank you that you are a wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Right now, we're going to enter into a time of response. As the worship team leads us in a song, I'd like to invite you to stand and sing along with us. The altar is open for prayer. However God is leading you to respond this morning, I'd like to invite you to do so. I'll be down front if you'd like to talk, but the altar is open. Let's all respond all over this place. Let's respond to God together. Oh.